welcome you again. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I've been encouraged over the last couple weeks to hear the preaching of Mike Tucker and Jesse Titesworth um, as they've shared from the Psalms with us as well and, you know, the good insights that they've provided. And, uh, you know, as we continue this series and we, we hear from the different voices, um, it's kind of interesting because the Psalms are often written from different authors and have different voices. So kind of cool how that starts out. But, uh, yeah, uh, I also want to, you know, thank Steve and some of the guys, Mike Tucker and some of the Man Cave guys and, and some of the ladies who uh, went out to the Kranz's house uh, yesterday and helped with some weeding in the garden there. And uh, just thank you guys for serving uh, that family in this time of need. So uh, as Jesse said, let's just continue to pray for Christina. Um, and if you need that link to the GoFundMe page, if you do receive our weekly email, it is in there. Um, as well, you can actually see the most recent update that, we, that we've received, um, Cindy posted on that GoFundMe page. So uh, if you're wanting to keep updated, that's a good spot to check out. Um, I also want to thank Jesse for uh, the, the vision that he laid out this past weekend, this past Sunday for Grace Life in this new season, uh, the value that he placed on community. And I just kind of want to echo some of those thoughts and keep it before us. And one of the unique graces that God has given to us is actually each other. Um, And now you might think at times, people in our lives, well, that's a little bit like hugging a porcupine, right? You know, know, we're we're a family, and we all know what family Thanksgivings can sometimes be like, you know, when crazy uncle starts going off or whatever. But um, we are a family, and God has given us each other. And so I'm grateful for the community that he's placed us in. Uh, but over the last year and a half, you know, I know that one of the challenges that has been before us is how do we re-engage in relationships and friendships and in community and all those things. And it's, it's been difficult. You know, everybody, uh, as we've kind of emerged in this new season as well, a season of transition, we're just kind of trying to find our footing, so to speak. So I just want to encourage you, um, as Jesse encouraged, to be a part of a grace group. Uh, engage in community here at Grace Life. Um, you know, the Sunday gatherings are important. We definitely believe that they're important, but uh, we need each other as well to experience the full life of the church. It's not just a Sunday morning attraction where you come in for a couple hours and then you go home and you're, you know, you're good to go for the week. You got what you need. Um, you will hear the word. You'll be equipped for ministry, but um, we believe that the real life of the church takes place uh, in relational community. And we are working on a flyer. I know everybody loves flyers. They're just the most fabulous thing in the world. As somebody who came from the print world, you better love flyers because that keeps people employed. But um, we're working on a flyer with more information just on how you can engage in community in a deeper way. And we'll have lots of information. Uh, but as well, you can always check out our website, gracelifeavon.com. You can check out the newsletter that gets emailed weekly. Or you can just talk to some people and find out where they're engaging in community, what groups they're part of, what ministries they're part of, how they're serving in the church, all that kind of stuff. So, um, As well, if you are interested in leading or hosting a group, please come talk to us. We would love to start getting that going. All right, so Psalm 4. As we begin Psalm 4 today, uh, kind of in order to help us understand this psalm, I want to highlight a literary structure used in Eastern poetry. Now, I know what you're thinking. This sounds like the most exciting thing ever. 
it's almost as good, if not better, than intro music. Am I right, Jesse? Um, it, it may not be quite as exciting as that. Uh, but this literary structure is called chiastic structure. Uh, this term chiastic or chiasmus is taken from the Greek letter chi, which looks like an X. In case none of you have ever seen an X before. Uh, but that is the Greek letter key. So it is slightly different. It's a different language. You know, so, uh, but that's, it's based on this letter key. Joel Ryan defines it this way. A chiasmus, also referred to as a chiasm, is a literary device in which ideas are presented and then subsequently repeated or inverted in a symmetrical mirror-like structure. To put it simply, we find the main point or the theme at the middle of the thought. So notice in an X, there's a center, right? You can put your finger right in the middle. Um, that's where the crescendo or the main point is. It's in the middle rather than at the end, like we're more familiar with in poetry uh, here in the West. The chaotic structure to this psalm is this. Verses 1 and 8 are a prayer. Verses 2 and 3 and verses 6 and 7 are directed towards others, his enemies and his doubting followers. Finally, verses 4 and 5 are David speaking to himself. And the true climax of this psalm is seen in verse 5. Now, we might typically look to the end of a poem or of a story to find our main thought or the resolution to the trouble that faces uh, the author. But we need to look at the middle here. We need to look at the center. And in this psalm, you're also going to see a couple words that pop up that we've already seen pop up a couple times. And that word is selah. You'll find it twice in this psalm. And you might already be familiar with this word. Um, but there is no clear definition as to what this word means. The most probable is that it is some kind of musical notation or a worship direction, uh, telling the reader to pause, to reflect, and to remember. This psalm is an evening psalm, and if you remember last week when Jesse shared, he spoke on Psalm 3, he talked about a morning psalm, morning and evening. Uh, And these psalms go together hand in hand. And Jesse already laid a lot of the groundwork out for us for what exactly has caused David to write these words. Um, This was at the time when Absalom had started a military coup, and uh, David is on the run. He's not in Jerusalem. And uh, when we get to Psalm 4, many, as I was studying this, many believe that as David writes these words, he's just received word that Absalom, his son, the one who's betrayed him, has died. And so his heart was broken. And you can read about this in Second Samuel 15 through 18. So let's read the text. And Jesse has already read it once for us, but let's read it again. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? 
Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we see in this psalm, despite the circumstances around its writing. I ask as we discuss it this morning that you would uh, just reveal to our hearts your goodness and your mercy, your love and your grace to us, Father. I ask that you would just open our understanding this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to begin uh, by just looking at these first four verses as we look at the darkness. Now, this is indeed a dark time in David's life, right? We see him on the run, pursued by his enemies on all sides. And uh, in many of the psalms in this series that we're in, so the series that we're looking at, Kiss the Sun, is looking at the first 25 psalms. But in Psalms 3 through 18, most of those talk about being surrounded by enemies and being overwhelmed. It's a reoccurring theme. And all throughout David's life, he's been on the run. He kind of knows how this routine works. First, he was on the run from Saul, and Saul tried to kill him. Uh, later on, David fled and actually spent some time with Israel's enemies, the Philistines. And then David was on the run from the Philistines. And now he's on the run after reigning as king for a number of years from his own son, Absalom. He feels abandoned by his people. Israel has followed suit. They followed after Absalom. And certainly at times, I think he feels abandoned by God. He feels alone. He feels lonely. He feels isolated. And I think we too often feel this way and struggle with this. Loneliness. It's real and it can be a dangerous thing. Uh, A report from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine points out that more than one-third of adults aged 45 and older feel lonely. And nearly one-fourth of adults aged 65 and older are considered to be socially isolated. Now, you might think that this wouldn't affect younger people nearly as much. But younger generations are affected exponentially more by loneliness. According to one study, recent research shows that experiencing loneliness in your 20s is near the top of the list of challenges for both Generation Z and Millennials. 73% of Generation Z sometimes or always feels alone. And 71% of heavy social media users reported feelings of loneliness. Now, in reading about this, I found some interesting and sobering stats. I want to read a couple here for you. Uh, But in presenting these, I'm not doing this to heap condemnation on anyone. Um, I know that loneliness can be a very real thing. Um, I, I think one of my greatest struggles has been loneliness, and it's always hit me in very weird times. I can be surrounded by a group of people and feel incredibly alone. So loneliness is real. Social isolation significantly increased a person's risk of premature death from all causes, a risk that may rival those of smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. Social isolation was associated with about a 50% increased risk of dementia. So my reason for sharing these stats and the numbers that we've highlighted is to just point out that loneliness is real, and it can leave a very real, lasting impact on our lives. We were not created to be alone. 
We were created for community. But as you hear the words of this psalm, uh, I want you to hear that there is hope in the gospel for the lonely. As you see David and his struggle in his season of loneliness, my hope this morning is that you grab hold of this. Because maybe this morning as you're hearing this, you're experiencing loneliness even right now. But listen to David's cries for mercy. Verse 1 is a prayer, as I mentioned. His words directed to God are, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Though David is lonely and though he is in great distress, you can actually get a sense of his confidence and his hope in the midst of it. If you're ever feeling like you can't call out to God with the deepest groanings of your soul, just look at David. Look at his words. He often uh, speaks out to God the things that maybe we've thought might be a little bit too much to say to God too offensive to cry out to God. And not necessarily in the words that we see here, but in other psalms. Sometimes we see the things that that David says to God, and we're like, ooh, I don't know if I would say that. Trust me, God can handle your words. He knows what's inside your heart already. Just look at how he has no fear in addressing the God of mercy with his real-life thoughts. He calls out in anguish, answer me. Or as the King James writes, hear me. In his grief and in his search for mercy and relief, he goes to the God of mercy. And there are two things we see as the foundation for David's appeal to God. First, David appeals to the God of his righteousness. This, however, is not David's righteousness. He's not appealing to his own good works. He's not appealing to his own goodness. Rather, it's God's righteousness that he has graciously bestowed upon David. Right away, this is an arrow directing us straight to Christ. We can seek out mercy from the God of mercy based on the righteousness of Christ, which he has graciously imputed to us who believe. This is elaborated for us under the new covenant in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." we can boldly, with confidence, draw near. And we have this confidence because of Christ. David knew this same confidence as he looked to the God of mercy. So if you are in a season of darkness due to loneliness or isolation, or perhaps the constant barrage of darkness in the news or social media feeds, I just want to encourage you with the comforting words that the author of Hebrews gives us here. He's telling us that because we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who has been tempted in every respect but not, has not sinned, we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. And that's not just one single time. It's not just one day in our past that we had the opportunity to draw near. In the, the old covenant under that system, there was one day that they could draw near to the holiest of holies. 
one day out of a year. But we can daily go before the throne and find what we need for today. There's new mercies every morning and there's new grace for today. Secondly, this appeal that David is making is based on God's past mercies that David has experienced. He's, he writes here, you have given me relief when I was in distress. But I actually love how the King James translates this. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Now, David is not saying, like, you made me grow, like, to ten feet tall every time I was in distress. What David is saying is that when he's been surrounded in the past on every side by his enemies, God has made a way of escape. It's like there was a crack in the wall that surrounded David, and God filled it with, like, C4 explosives and just blew open a wide way of escape. He enlarged his way out for David. David is saying, God, you've done it before. And I know that you can do it again. So will you? Have you experienced God's mercy this way? I know that I have. I know looking back on my life, I can see instances where God was merciful towards me. And we, we're familiar with like what grace means. Grace is getting what we didn't deserve and couldn't earn. It's a gift. Mercy is kind of like... Uh, the opposite side of that grace is us receiving is not receiving what we did deserve. So if I appealed to my righteousness, what I would actually deserve is God's wrath. But Jesus took the death and judgment and wrath that I deserved so that I wouldn't have to. He did it in my place. That's God's mercy. Giving me what I didn't deserve is grace. Not giving me what I did deserve is mercy. So it's in this season of loneliness and darkness that David cries out for mercy. He's looking back at all that God has done. And he sees God's past mercies poured out in his life and says, Yes, Lord, do it again. And we'll see in verses 2 and 3 here that David speaks now to his enemies and draws attention to their darkened hearts. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after, li- after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So his enemies, the followers of his son Absalom, have loved vain words and sought after lies. Their minds are darkened. Their pursuit is sinful. In verse 3, David tells them that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. He tells them of his confidence that the Lord will hear him. See, the darkened heart assumes it's right. It assumes truth and yet pursues lies. Now, we see this daily, right? We see this all over the news. We see this all over the headlines. We see this all over social media. Um, And maybe this is an encouragement in just seeing that. Maybe sometimes we just need to shut off social media for a little while uh, and and avoid some of this. I'm not saying you can't engage by any means, but... um, Sometimes there's just so prevalent. It's just so heavy out there. But this is nothing new. Fallen humanity has always pursued and run headlong after lies. They've run headlong after darkness, rejecting the truth. Perhaps we see more of it today because of the uh, prevalence of media and technology. But the lies have always been there. What were the lies that his enemies sought after? 
it's the lies that Absalom had spread about David, that he was an unfit ruler, that he didn't care for his people. In some ways, these lies really echo the lies that the enemy told Adam in the garden. Did God really say? Absalom is just saying, did David really say he would care about you? Did David really say he was going to come through for you? Why don't you trust in me? I'll, I'll get these things taken care of. As Jesse mentioned last week, he planted himself outside the gate and spread these lies for four years. These lies spread and brought David great shame. David's reputation had been shattered. And so David tells his enemies here that though his reputation is in tatters, it is God who is his defense. God has set apart David. The Scottish pastor Sinclair Ferguson Uh, which I just recently found out I share a birthday with him. So I think that makes me like 90% Scottish. I think that's how that works scientifically. It says that the idea behind being set apart is like when you go to the furniture store, and maybe you've seen an advertisement, and there's this couch that you just have to have, and and, you you, you need a couch, you've been wanting one, and you see this one, and it's perfect. You head to the furniture store, and you get there, and the couch that you desired has a giant sold sign on it. No matter how much you want it, you cannot take it home. It's been sold. It belongs to somebody else. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus has laid claim to you. You've been marked as his, purchased by his precious blood. And so as his own, you can trust that you can call on him at any time. And he will hear your cry. He will hear you because you're his. And that's encouraging. Despite darkness and despite whatever storms and trials we're in, God has set us apart for himself. And he will hear us. Now in verse 4, David turns his attention to himself. And though the language of the psalm doesn't shift from second person to first person, I believe that this section is a poetic way of speaking to himself. Uh, David, in his struggle, reminds himself, and of course, by extension, those who read this psalm, to be still. It would be very easy in a situation like David's uh, to be angry. And this word here for anger is actually like to tremble with rage. It's to, to be like visibly shaking with anger. But David speaks to himself to calm himself. I think it's far too often we listen to the voices around us. We listen to the lies of the enemy. And sometimes, yes, we even listen to our own feelings. So this morning, I'm going to tell you to speak to yourself. Go ahead and just talk to yourself. It's all right. I do it often. Remind yourself of the gospel. That though you were born in sin, born wicked, born in darkness... That God has loved you far more than you'll ever understand. He has loved you far more than you can even begin to comprehend. So David here will lie down and ponder in his bed these things. Yes, he will think upon the circumstances that has brought him to this place, to this very moment. He will think about his own frailty, uh, maybe his past mistakes with Absalom. He will think of his own sinful nature. He will ponder all these things, uh, but he's also going to ponder all the things that God has done for him, all the past mercies. 
He will ponder God's overwhelming grace and love poured out on him. And he will be silent. He will be still. Selah. Pause. Breathe. Reflect. And then in verse 5, the light begins to rise. Verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Here is the heart of this psalm. In his time of darkness, gripped by the grief of losing his son, David tells us what it is in his reflections that causes his racing mind to still, that causes the anger to cease, He trusts in the Lord. Here when David says offer right sacrifices, it's not just that David uh, needed to run out and sacrifice a lamb. He actually couldn't. Uh, He was not in Jerusalem. And so therefore he couldn't just run back and offer worship in the proper way, in the right way. He was unable to offer the right sacrifice. So then the right sacrifice here must speak of another. David's trust was in the one that the sacrificial system pointed to. The truer king. The truer sacrifice, Jesus. He had placed his trust in the promised eternal king of Israel. And remember what I said at the beginning of this message uh, about, you know, the excitement of literary structure. It was the thought at the center that was the crescendo of the psalm. And this is our crescendo. This is the moment. It is the gospel. And it's David believing in the right sacrifices. As he does that, the light shines. His spirit lifts even if the circumstances don't change. They didn't change immediately. So what is David telling us today? To trust in Christ The once and for all sacrifice. Do not trust in your own sufficiency. Don't trust in power. Don't trust in military might. Don't trust in the appealing appearance of someone like Absalom. Trust in Christ. Don't look to what is seen, but look to what is unseen. Trust in Christ. Because God isn't after systems. He's not after religious systems. He's not after political systems. He's after your heart. He's not after the appearance of worship. He wants the heart. This passage here, this verse uh, in verse 5, it reminds me of another passage uh, from the book of Amos. Amos five twenty one through 24. God speaking, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God speaks through the prophet Amos and delivers a very harsh rebuke. But I couldn't help think as I read this, didn't God command these things to be done? Wasn't it him who instituted this this system? Feasts and and sacrifices and offerings and, and the songs that went along with it all? They were doing them in Jerusalem. 
But here God says he hates their feasts and assemblies. He won't accept their sacrifices. And as a songwriter, I cringe even when I hear their songs are noise to him. He's going to plug his ears. That's what you want to hear when you write a song of worship. That the one you're singing to is like, nope. Don't like it. Then in verse 24, he says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And though this is surely a call to pursue justice and, and righteousness, it's not a call to just go some, do, some good deeds like that would be enough. Like, well, you know, Israel, you'd get it right if you just did some good things. Rather, all of this is pointing us to Christ. Israel had missed what the sacrifice was about. They had missed what the feasts were all about. They had missed what their songs were supposed to be about. They were all supposed to be about Jesus. They were pointing them to the coming Messiah. And it's through Jesus that justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an everlasting or an ever flowing stream. It's always been about Jesus. So don't trust in your ability to sing, don't trust in your ability to gather or be consecrated. Trust in the Lord. From him, the rest of that will flow. From him, our source, our love will overflow in song. Our gatherings will have meaning. Our worship will be in spirit and in truth. So let's read on here in Psalm 4, verses 6 and 7. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David speaks to those who are with him, hiding from their enemies. He encourages them in their despair because he was there as well. He was in despair. And the cry is, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So just as we have seen how David's heart was darkened by trial, so too the hearts of David's loyal followers were clouded in darkness. And David entreats the Lord to shine, that they would all experience his presence. That in the darkness of this cave, that they would know that God was with them. So just as the center of this psalm is the gospel, we are to center our lives around the finished work of Christ. And as we do, the light of his face will shine upon us. This is not a message of prosperity, because this in no way guarantees or means that the trial will lift. Just that our hearts in the midst of trial will lift as we bask in the gospel. There is coming a brighter day, though. We have a future hope. When the light of his face will shine, and there will be no need for the sun, We will bask in his light forever with no more darkness, no more trial, no more sickness. This is the light that we see in Revelation 21. Beginning in verse 22, it says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
this future hope as well reminds me of a certain scene in a movie adaptation of The Two Towers, part of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. If you know me well enough, you know at some point there's going to be some Lord of the Rings references. And it's Sam's speech at the end of the movie. I'm just going to read that to you. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Now this light that Sam speaks of is merely an echo of a truer light. This light, the light of his presence, causes joy to rise in our hearts. The light of Jesus stirs joy and satisfaction in our hearts. In fact, to me, that's one of the most amazing things about the gospel. When, when I have the opportunity to talk about the gospel with fellow believers, my heart is stirred and joy rises in my heart, no matter what the circumstances are. Because it's only Jesus that can satisfy. And David says it's this joy that is, that is better than anything else. It's better than when grain and wine are in abundance. It's better than when everything on the surface is going all right. What is better than financial prosperity? What is better than national prosperity? It's when my soul prospers in Christ. Trusting in the Lord, experiencing this joy, David knows that he can rest, dwelling in safety. So our third point this morning from verse 8 is simply sleep. Verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In the midst of trial and grief, David will lie down. He will sleep in peace because God is bigger than his enemies. God is sovereign in all of his dealings. And he knows that his life is hid in him. And yes, David mourned for Absalom. In fact, if you read through Second. Um, believe that what did i say second samuel 15 15 through 18 i think it's chapter 18 we see that david grieved so much for absalom that even his followers kind of got mad at him why are you grieving over this guy we won he turned his back on you and you haven't even celebrated your own people david tasted the bitter taste of grief over the loss of his son david definitely did not rejoice in the victory over his enemy but he did trust in the Lord. Whatever the situation we face, whatever the trial, we can trust in Christ. He will not abandon you. Just as David was able to trust in the safety God provided, so can you. You can trust in him. And so that's my encouragement to you this morning. Trust in the Lord. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, if this morning you find yourself in a lonely place, feeling isolated, feeling the darkness that David felt, maybe even feeling betrayal or the bitter taste of grief. I just want to encourage you, trust in the Lord. And for those who are feeling lonely, remember the words of David in Psalm 68, verse 6. God sets the lonely in families. He has a place for you. 
He is given grace in the desert. And God uses his people in that. That's why at Grace Life we so often use the language of family. Because we believe that God in his sovereign plan has placed us together. Trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love that you have indeed placed us in family. Lord, we thank you that you've been good to us over and over and over again. We thank you that you have not been surprised or shocked or taken off guard by any of the circumstances that are occurring around us, to us, in our country, in our world. None of it has shocked you. In your sovereignty, you have allowed us to go through whatever it is that we're going through so that we can learn to depend on you more, so that we can learn to trust in you more, Lord. Father, I just ask this morning, even as we continue in worship, that you would encourage our hearts that you would speak to our hearts, that you would just pour grace into our hearts. Enable us to stand in the times of difficulty. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.